Hello, everybody. This is Barbara Arantrue. This is our June show. And I have on my show two returning guests, which is fun for me. And uh, I I think we'll have another guest come on later. But um, right now, I want to introduce you to two two people. Uh, The first one is uh, Steve McAllister. Tell us a little bit. Hi, Steve. Hey, how are you, Barbara? I'm good. You're coming back on the show because I wanted you to talk more about yourself. And let's find out who else is here. I'm here. Oliver. Oliver Bear, nice to meet you back again, too. Um, It's great. And so... I don't know, you, you and Steve met a little bit in the chat room, but you can say hi to each other. <laughs> hi, Steve. Hi. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do now is we're just going to, like, talk, because I'm not really going to interview anybody today. We're just going to talk. But first we'll uh-huh. talk about you and your stuff. So we'll start with Oliver, because... I think Oliver didn't get much of a time to be heard on the last show. Um, oh, really? I no, I meant I, I felt meant like Steve. I had a lot Did of I time. say Oliver? Oh, I meant you said Oliver. Yeah. Steve, I meant Steve. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm going to give Steve a little bit more chance, and Oliver, you can chime in whenever you want if you have any kind of comment and um, guess or. Welcome to call in. The call in number is on the link, so call right in if you want to. And it's that kind of show today. So, Steve, sorry, I apologize. I was looking at Oliver in the. That's in the okay. I figured Steve should go. Steve, All right, well, thank you. Yeah. Um, hi. Since I've talked to you, Barbara, the book has launched. Um, it, it launched on June 4th. Um, it's uh, action takers who step up and st- uh, step up and step out, and mm-hmm. um, it's a collaboration book that Missy Lane and Linda Sunshine West put together. And uh, there's I think 12, 12 of us all together I think that are involved in that. And um, anyway, the the point that I wanted to make is there was three stories that um, I was told that I should just elaborate on or at least give an idea of the bullying that I went through. And bullying's a, bullying is a big topic. You know, you hear about Internet bull- or cyber bullying. You hear about so many different kinds of bullying. And I never realized what bullying really was until um, I got into my older years. And then I realized that's what was going on with me, but I never in my million years would have thought that um, it was going to be at home with my dad. I thought I'd I'd come home and try to tell my mom about this, and my dad was always shutting me up and and telling me, oh, um, everybody has a bad day, you know, but then he was actually my biggest bully is what I tell people. And um, so... I think that people need to be educated um, and know what there's different kinds of bullying, but, you know, 
when families have to deal with it with their own family, it's a whole different ball game because you deal with it um, outside or you deal with it cyber, but then when you deal with it with your parents, that's that's going down um, a real rocky road as far as your relationship with your parents. So I think that's it's, yeah, I think it's very oh, sad ahead, if you if you have a family member bullying you. Um, it, it, it's a, it takes away all of your feeling of comfort and relaxation to be home. So mm-hmm. being home is like being in a war zone for you. And right. I'm, I'm, I, I understand that, and, and it's emotional turmoil. And when that happens, you can't really do well in anything, I think, because you're so emotionally drained from having to deal with what's going on at home that you you can't show your best face to the world and you you do have a terrible situation on your hands and I hope that you and your father have well if he's still alive um is he still alive no he he's been gone since 2006 and that's what I wanted to elaborate on is since he's been gone um, I still, I, I haven't really dealt with it like like when he was around as far as family's concerned. That's been over with for a while, but I, I had, um, I've had flashbacks um, now and again, but not as much as I did when he was still alive. But because of him being gone, it just kind of like eventually faded to a point where I don't elaborate on it. I don't think about it as much. But um, it's still there. It still gets me once in a while. And so I think it's more important for me to get my story out there. And that's what um, Linda has elaborated. It gives me a chance to get my story out there when I write a chapter with, you know, rather than being clammed up, it's better to get your story out there. If it's a rags to riches story, of course you you need to do that. And that's what happened with me um, after all those incidences that happened, I was able to move on. And um, actually, I joined the Navy back when he was still alive, back in 87. And um, so I was trying to prove to him and show him that I could do something worthwhile, but not saying that I didn't want to serve my country because I did. But um, I would guess at the same time I was trying to show him and prove to him that I could be a man. And, of course, um, that worked for a little while, but it didn't last long because I was told that I had cerebral palsy in the nine nine months that I was in. And because I had that, they kind of let, well, they did, they honorably discharged me. And so my dad basically said, well, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. He didn't really um, say anything about the cerebral palsy, but he just was like, I knew something was going to come up. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, here I go again. And I was 21 and and had to come back home because I didn't have a place to go to. And, you know, to move into, I had to come back home. And so with that disease, my dad never really uh, said anything about it. I don't ever remember him saying, I'm so sorry you had to go through this, and how do you know you really have it? And I said, 
the doctors um, at the hospital tested uh, me and told me that. They, you know. Yeah, they don't tell you that unless you really have it. It's not a disease that people want to have, and, and people don't fake this, I don't think. And um, I'm so sorry that you had to go through this, and it's something that, you know, it, it's it's actually, I think, um, you're born with the gene. I think that's what happens. Um, yes. Yeah, and, and when they your didn't know it. father and mother have it. <clears throat> right, one of them had it, and they didn't know it. And that's why genetic testing is good before, um, if, you're, if you're aware of having a genetic problem, then you can be aware of it when the child comes. How sad for you, really. And then yeah, so. your story, though, your story is inspirational, so please continue. Tell us more about your story. Um, well, because of the because of all the abuse that was, and I and it did end up being some sort of physical abuse here and there, and um, so it was not only the verbal; it was also, and it wasn't continue. The verbal was continual; the physical was not continual. But it was enough to really put me in a spot where I just didn't want to um, live anymore. Oh, and you mean while you had cerebral palsy, or or before? No, this was I I I want to back up and go as as I was a little kid. I was like nine or ten years old, and so my dad you felt that way at nine or ten. Oh. Yeah, pardon. I just continue. Yeah, nine or ten, um, and. My dad locked me out of the house. I forgot why now, what the what the whole deal was, um, um, why he locked me out. And um, But anyway, I was so mad. I just said, I can't believe Dad let me in, let me in. And, and so I got to the point where I said, I don't even care if I bust this window. And I didn't plan on it, but I ended up busting the window. It was a door that leads into our home. Um, from the garage, and I cut myself in three different spots in my arm. I said, I wish it would have been my wrist. And um, my friends were all like, what in the world is going on? And, of course, I only told a couple people that um, about that, and they were like, did you tell your mom about this? And they they already knew how bad my dad was towards me. So they would always say, did you tell your mom about this? I said, no, I didn't think I needed to, that I was so hurt by what my dad had um, even put me through. And so I said, I've got to change. So I changed my life to the point where um, I just needed to get into something that I knew that I could do to satisfy myself and hide in a way. But yet, um, all of a sudden, I was like, you know what, I want. I need to bring up a hobby. So a friend of mine who um, was like an older brother to me, he ended up, uh, he was in puppetry. So he told me, hey, why don't you uh, come along and, and I'll show you how to do puppets and you can hang out with me. Well, we started doing puppet shows in campgrounds. We started going to churches and doing junior church type um, of puppet shows for junior churches and we just loved doing that, and that kind of got me to thinking, this is something that I know that I could get away from my dad 
and enjoy myself and have a good time. And and it was somebody that my mom and dad knew. It wasn't like he, they didn't know the guy. And so uh, he led me into the puppet ministry part of things. And so that really changed me to the point where I was like, this is something I can get into. So I did that. And then um, after that, it was just like we did that for about 10 or 11 years. And I'm still kind of doing it here and there, but um, I've been involved with that for a long time now. But it was because of my friend Mark who got me involved with that. That was the reward that I got out of um, being abused so much. And he knew that my dad was um, bullying me too, and he knew that that's, that was a way for me to get out of the house and get away from him. And so that, so that was a good news part of that. But it continued. But as a little yeah, kid, the, the but puppetry. then it continued on yeah. as an adult. Yeah. And now, as an so, adult, what, what is your life like now? Um, my um, it's great. My wife and I just celebrated 25 years of marriage, and that's um, wonderful. So Congratulations. My, <laughs> thank you. My wife saw how my dad was bullying me and abusing me, and so she just. She started getting sick, you know, when you bend over from stress and you just start having your stomach. She uh, she went through, some, just listening to it, um, she felt bad. But what's going on right now, I'll jump to uh, what's going on right now is I, I'm an ordained minister. Um, and I now have that book. I now have that book out. And since I've had that book out, I've had seven, maybe eight, um, interviews, two of them on radio, uh, three of them on bot radio, um, including yours. Um, and then um, I've been able to uh, speak to a couple people, you know, a couple groups and that. So now um, that's become a passion of mine. So when I go out, um, I'd like to go out and um, continue to do speaking engagements. Um, I'm still new at this, so I'm kind of learning as I go. But uh, I really enjoyed um, meeting Linda and getting involved with Action Takers, and I've learned so much in the last, what, probably year, year and a half, probably year. And so that's where I'm at right now. That's great. That's I love to hear stories like that where – You've overcome something in your life that was so detrimental that you wanted to kill yourself at the age of 10 or 11. That's that's big. And then you moved on. Now you're an ordained minister, and, and that's wonderful. And married 25 years. Do you have children, Steve? No, they're in heaven. Well, that's still wonderful to be married 25 years, and you're, you're dealing with cerebral palsy. You're you're living with that. That's a disease that can be very um, crippling and debilitating. How do you deal with that? Well, actually, we thought it was cerebral palsy. It still might be, but um, later on, I didn't bring this up, but um, I was actually diagnosed just not long ago, probably about a year, year and a half ago, I was diagnosed with char- charcoal marie tooth. Um, that is a neuropathy. 
that's a uh, peripheral neuropathy where the nerves get involved and the nerves are either damaged or they're um, gone. And that's in your lower extremities, your lower legs and your feet. And sometimes it affects your arms. And so it's so close to um, muscular dystrophy that they at one time said that it's a part of muscular dystrophy, but it really isn't. It's like a, it's like more like a sister thing where MDA doctors will treat CMT patients because once the nerves are gone, it starts going into the muscle and it starts deteriorating the muscle. And so that's why it's so close to muscular dystrophy. And so that's what I'm dealing with now. So is there any treatment for this? Yeah. Is there any treatment for this? No, it's incurable. I'm so sorry. I mean, oh, I'm sorry. It's incurable. The disease is incurable, but there, there's treatment. When I say treatments, um, there might be some medicine um, that I could take, uh, nerve, like nerve t- pills to calm my nerves, um, but that's really about it. So sorry, but you're managing to live with it, which is kind of amazing and um Wonderful story, Steve. Do you have another story? You said you had three. Um, well, uh, as far as um, what? Because bowling is the only thing I'm out lately. So, um, I, mean, uh, yeah, I yeah, I think you should write something about your puppetry because um, a friend of mine. Did you read Leslie Ash's book? Because she she was um, doing costumes for the Muppets. She, she no, I Jim didn't Henson. get a chance to. And she was involved in the uh, in the Henson festivals. And that's oh. something. If you're in, into puppetry, you'd really enjoy her book. It's it's wonderful. She talks about puppetry, and because of her book and because of Leslie. I've learned that puppetry is in almost everything, and you can see it in so many things. Uh, you know, in Broadway shows, in in um, uh-huh. in, in yeah, where they they use another um, figure to to show something. Um, I saw um, um, Into the Woods. But oh was yes, like that a, was great. And and so into the woods, now the new one, they are using a puppet for the cow. Really, I haven't seen the new one. Yeah, the new one was really kind of amazing. They 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 used a puppet for the cow, and there was a man on stage with a cow body, and you know the cow is very skeletal, so. Right. The bones of the of the cow, and oh, the man okay. was, and the man was um, just directing the cow to do all these different things, moving its head and and its body, and it was quite elaborate. And I think you'd really, you know, appreciate that. But there's so much puppetry going on that people don't even you know realize. Right, and it's creative. It's part of the creative arts, and, and it's actually a lost art. 
Um, yeah, and, and so I think you'd really like be... Leslie's book if you could get it. It's really it's a wonderful book. Yeah, thank Out you. Of I, the um, how do I get called... it? Um... I think she she has it maybe on Amazon, but I'm not sure. Um, okay. But her name is Leslie L E S L E E S A S C H. You can oh, look how do you it spell up, the last name again? A-S-C-H. Okay. Okay. Um, I'll, so look, I think, I'll look that up. I think you would enjoy that book because it's got lots of photos and, you know, things like that. So it's really beautiful and talks about puppetry in the modern age, what's going on and how they're using it. So anyway, um, <clears throat> I'm just saying, hold on, <clears throat> I seem to have a frog in my throat. So I'm just saying that um, that uh, that uh, your story is so inspirational. Wouldn't you agree, Oliver? I would agree, yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's... Uh, oh, well, thank you. You know, you went through a lot, and uh, you managed to make it to this to this point um, with with lots of positive things happening in your life, despite um, all the you know health issues that you've had. And, you know, nerve nerve diseases are terrible diseases because, as you're finding out. There's not much um, medical science can do other than make you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's um, true. So, you know, um, it takes a lot and speaks to, uh, you know, I'm sure you um, have talked about this with people, but speaks to your resilience, which is something that, you know, a lot of people um, have, but don't seem to don't seem to actually. Um, I'm gonna use. I was gonna say activate, but activate's not the right word. No, um, it's it's like it's like you uh, people. It's rare to be in such a position as you were, Steve, and then be able to move on from there. Um, I know someone who has fibromyalgia and a lot of other issues, and all she does is complain about these things. You know, she's she's talented. She does jewelry. She does other things. But right. mainly yeah. when she gets on Facebook, it's complaining about what's happened to her and how her disease is bothering her. And you, on the other hand, you <laughs> you mentioned <laughs> it as, oh, um, by the way, I have this disease. You know, it's just a part of you right. that you have accepted and moved on. Whereas some right. people use the disease, yeah, as, as, as a thing to keep them from doing anything. And, you know, that... Everyone has things that happen to them, and it's how you deal with them is 
the kind of person you are. And yeah, that's, so, that's yet, true. I'm so glad you're a minister now because you're a very inspirational person, and I hope that you're helping your congregation with, with you know, helping them to see that life is just a series of mishaps and adventures, and <laughs> we just have to get through them, right? <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, that's what I, I, I. That's why I want to educate people and show people that you can't get redirected. You can redirect, and which I would tell people, such as this lady, that um, making jewelry, that's a hobby, and you could always make it into a business. Redirect well, she your does sales sell it. She does sell it, but I don't think she she can. I don't know. She she goes to yeah, various just, places, but yeah, she just needs to redirect. She just needs to redirect uh, her um, complaining into look at this jewelry. You know, see how pretty this is, and you can and see. Oh, and the jewelry is beautiful. Right. Yeah, it's really and beautiful. She's she, very talented. Well, yeah. that's what she should direct her sales or direct her um, mind at is instead of complaining about what she's got. Let um if if she's still be able if she's still able to make jewelry and make beautiful jewelry, she should be thanking the good Lord that she's still able to do that. I know she should be thankful every day, right? <laughs> right. Anyway, instead of complaining. let's get back. Let's get back to um, the fact that we all have a a disability of some kind. And when I was, um, when I lost my husband nine years ago, um, we had been married almost 49 years. And it was a terrible blow. And I landed in the ER, which I've told everyone about. They all know my story, but... (laughs) I landed in the ER because I was so dehydrated from crying. And I could have gone on like that. I mean, I could have kept crying forever. But um, when I got out of the ER after, you know, they had to give me um, liquid and all that stuff, and I had to be infused. And and after I got out, that day I had to go to the you know, we had a, a we're Jewish, so we had a funeral right away, and then we cremated his body. So we had the funeral, and I I was able to focus on what I needed to do and to get myself out there. And after maybe a month or two or three of mourning. I was able to get back into society and, you know, know, by by a year I was doing much more than I'd done before, you know, it was, it was me moving on and, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it, you have to move on when things go wrong in your life, you have to move on. Excuse me. This is allergy That's season. That's true. But you have to you have to tell yourself that what you have may be debilitating to you, and you know you have to deal with it. But on the other hand, life is out there, and so 
you don't want to, you know, miss anything that you could be doing. So good for you, Steve. So now, Oliver. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Oliver, tell us about what's mm-hmm. going on with you since you've been on the show. <laughs> well, um, I was trying to, you know, uh, figure out the um, when I was on the show last. Was, oh, um, you were on, I know exactly when you were on. 2020? 2022. Was it 2022? Yes. Oh, okay, okay. Wow, I thought it was much much earlier. Um, no, because I went back. You see, if you go, you see, I think, let me just see. This was two years ago. Okay, so maybe it was 2021. Okay, I, that's what, yeah. Uh, that's what I thought. Just, um, um, but I think so. I think um, yeah. I because I listened to the show last night and right. I think it was. It says two years ago, so it was February. Twenty twenty one, I think. But yeah, not so sure. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, um, you know, speaking about your first, your experience, uh, Barbara, with your husband, um, when you spoke to me last, I was staying with mom and and, uh, we were kind of looking, looking after each other. Well, unfortunately, um, Mom uh, developed cancer and passed away. So sorry to hear um, that. Such uh, normal disease. My mother died of that. Oh. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Was she mom, in a lot of pain? Uh, no. I mean, the the wonderful, the sort of gift. I got several gifts, even though I don't. You know, I, it happened last September, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm. I guess moving forward, but I but my feelings are still pretty. It's still like the days days are still pretty difficult for me. Um, but yeah, as I tell it's, people, it's a year. Yeah, no, you. Well, it's, you, yeah, it's you're not, still it's, very fragile. It's nine months. Yeah, yeah, it's so nine it, months. Yeah, this is a very fragile time for anyone who's mourning the loss of someone dear to them. It's a very fragile time. And um, grief itself is something that I have come to learn a lot about. Right. And unfortunately, and I think that um, the best thing you can do is to go along in your day and if you do feel sad, to write about it, because that's the best way, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, like I, I guess I'm finding it difficult to write um, within the last year. But um, I am, you know, things come to me, 
but nothing seems to fit together. So, oh, um, okay. I I did write something earlier this year um, where I was trying to write, I don't know if either of you know this uh, art form, but it didn't involve poetry. I was trying to write a Dadaist poem. Um, okay, Dada, the, the art. Yeah, that's like um, Salvador Dali, that kind of stuff. No, well, no, da, that's no. more surrealism. Dada Surreal, is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Dada has an aspect of surreality in it, but... Um, Who are the artists that do that did Dada? Uh, Max Ernst. Okay. Um, the, per, uh, the person who did Poet... Poetry was Tristan Zara. Um, okay, I never heard that. So it was actually Damn. like a sort of multi, uh, multi art artistic form. So it involved writing, is in poetry. It involved art, fine art. Um, it involved like songs and uh, singing and music. Um, so a lot of, and a lot of it was, it was sort of a aspect of surrealism. Um, but, um, but yeah, it was much later. And I mean, I think it, no, I think it was earlier. Um, my chronology is not great on this, but, um, but uh, in, in yeah, poetry. Yeah, because when you lose somebody, you, your whole your whole system gets messed up. You can't remember yeah, things, yeah. and you yeah, it's, it's yeah. very difficult. I understand yeah. that. I mean, the other difficulty I'm <clears throat> going through and during this grieving time, um, well, I've had several, um, is uh, that uh, a month after mom past um i don't know if you remember from our previous um discussion but i'm an immunocompromised person yes um and so a month after mom passed i had covid oh Oh, wow which which, thankfully yeah yes did you take covid i didn't because um, the reason I'm immunocompromised, which I don't know if you remember, but I will tell Stephen. Right. Stephen, right. Um, so Stephen, um, speaking of resilience, and and since you're a minister, uh, you'll appreciate this. I am. My grandfather referred to me as the miracle child because okay. I was born with congenital kidney disease or a type of congenital kidney disease. Uh, oh, my wow. type of my type of kidney disease was basically it didn't really uh it was diagnosed when I was three but it didn't fully manifest until I was ten and the reason for that was um that the type of disease it was it was that the kidneys became too small for my body. So in other words they basically stopped growing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so by the wow. age of by the age of ten, <laughs> they were actually starting to fit, starting to fail, and by the age of eleven, um, they pretty much had failed. Um, oh wow! So I was on dialysis for about two years. And at the that end of that age. two years, I get, uh, right, from 11 to 13. Wow. Um, and then, and then um, at, uh, to, at, um, and then, and then I got a transplant. Um, and I still have the same, so I am, now the doctors are even surprised that I am still here talking because I am um, one of the very, very few people who's had one transplant for as long as I have. In August, it will be 45 years. Wow. wow. Congratulations. No, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So not that there haven't been some, you know. I'm, knock, I'm like, knocking wood for you. Wow. <laughs> thank you very much. Yes. Yes. Um, so, like, there were things along the way that were difficult. But um, as I'm saying about, you know, my grieving process, somehow I got through it. Um, I don't think that, you know, I'm, like, I don't believe that I'm actually be, that I that I don't identify with my disease um, because you know I'm talking about it now, um, but right. I have right. done many things. I've done many things in my life, in, um, and um, and even I mean my case is so. Um, it's it's very it's it's different than many cases, and yet it I, and yet I think it's still the same. So many people have said that I should write my story, or I should. Um, you should. Certainly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the problem I have with the story is while there are some different points, I guess I feel like the story is not that much different than many people with with either chronic illness or is, a lot of disease. The thing is, it may the, not be, but the thing is, Oliver, is that you are writing it. It's your point yes. of view. Right. It's how you say right. whatever you say about it will be mm-hmm. different from what other people right. say. That's what, and yeah, that's and, what people and there, are, there is an audience for this kind of writing because there are many people who are living with this disease and you right. may not even know them but they are right. I have a Facebook friend who has kidney disease and is in some of the last stages and she's very worried right. but she's still yeah. living with yeah. her disease. She's still going on right. and right. and so there are people who do live with it and um yeah you have to especially i was talking with someone about writing the other day and 
we I said, you know, poetry is so easy for me. When I first started writing poetry, I didn't think it was good because it was too right. easy. Exactly. Right. It came too yeah. easy. So Right. So I know the when people said it was good, I said, but it's so easy for me. It's like I can stand and write, and and I don't, you know, it's it's not a hardship. Like for some people, they, it takes forever for them to get a word or two, and, you know, if they... Right. They, but for me, I yeah. can sit down and write, and that's it, and then revise a little, maybe not even have to revise, and it's the way right. I want it to be. Yeah. But... Yeah. I didn't appreciate that about myself. So I didn't think anybody wanted to read my work. And the same thing is true with you. Your um, delivery of your story will be way more important than the story. I will read anything, and I have read anything. And and and, uh, it's how the person writes that's important. Right. I mean, there could be right. a million yeah. different books about the same thing, but your book will stand out, or your story, or whatever you want to put it into, yeah. will stand out yeah. because of the way you yeah. tell it. Right. So don't right. be afraid to put the words down. You can always yeah. change them. You know, That's you can true. always change them true. before you show them to anybody, or if you don't want to yeah. show them to anybody, at least you're putting it down. Right, right. Yeah, I I did write a poem about the uh, about the transplant. Um, so oh, you know, I you would have shared with I, us. Uh, oh, I can do that. Um, we're almost up to. The, let's let's wait just a few more minutes because we're not sure. quite at the, yeah. at the point where we're sharing. But um, that right. I would say, I would say that you, if you have a, you know, something in your head and you want to write it down, you should write it down, because yeah, yeah, you never know mm-hmm. where it's going to yeah. go. I mean, that I wrote true. I mean, all all my poems yeah, right, in my book, right yeah, yeah, all the poems in my book were written. Most of them were written while I was in extreme grief. I mean, to the right. point where. I had cried, and there were still tears wherever, not on the paper because I wrote them on the screen, but I was still right, crying right. while I wrote them, and it helped me to get right. over yeah. this pain, and grief right. is pain, and so yeah. anything you can do to get over it, and to, you know, will will help you to grow and to get right. out of that right. feeling of grief because yeah. grief is such a um, an abyss of of yeah, it sure of, is. of yeah. emotion mm-hmm. and yeah. yeah and you just you can't even imagine it until it happens to you you can say oh I'm right. so sorry for your loss and then it happens right. to you and it's just like a, an explosion in your life. So yeah, you know, right. you just didn't know you, you, how how much this person meant to you. You thought you knew. Yeah. Right. But then when well, they're gone, yes. 
it's it's like right. You know, that's that's the big yeah. Yeah. That's that's how um, that's how you know you, the the person is right. gone. They're no longer there to encourage you or to talk to you or right. to give you advice or to be there or to smile or to laugh with you or to hold you right. or to do any of the things that a mother would do and so right. you know, or a husband would do and, and so you you grieve because there's no yeah. one there for you know, for you who knows right. you the best like you like they right. did and yeah. And that grief is so painful and um actually when I lost my mother um the story of my losing my mother is now in a book. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because wow. I such a, Yeah, it's my friend's book. It's called um it's called Oh, let me find it cuz I know I I have it. It's called Extraordinary Revelations to Ordinary People. Uh-huh. And wow. it's 25 interviews that my friend painstakingly did of people who had mm-hmm. supernatural experiences. Oh, very oh, nice. Wow. And, yeah, it's a... It's, um, very powerful book yeah. about yeah. all kinds of. I think you might like it, Steve, because it's as a minister. I'm sure you've dealt with some people, or mm. maybe have had on your own some experiences. And yeah. and my friend, it's her own experience there, and it's it's. If you've had a supernatural experience, it's like nothing in the entire world. And when my mother passed away, I was holding her hand, and I had one of those. And it was quite amazing, and lasted for 24 hours, and it included a dream, and it was just like, it was an amazing experience, and it helped me. To get over the grief yeah. of that moment because I was right. alone, and but this amazing thing happened to me, and right. I couldn't tell right. anybody, and didn't mm-hmm. tell anybody because mm-hmm. it was so personal, and right. um, so I t- I didn't really write about her much, but. That feeling that that she gave me and what she gave me, mm-hmm. and she actually healed her death, actually healed my leg. Wow. Oh, nice. mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. Yeah. Very nice. So, <laughs> so that's not um, something... Yeah, yeah I, I had come in there with a cane, and... Um. I didn't need it anymore. I walked out without my cane. Well, nice. Well, there you go. See? Supernatural can be helpful. Yes. Very, very helpful experience. And, um... Yeah. Yeah. It it, it just... It was just such a, a... 
calming feeling for 24 hours, and it helped me to get through. Right. Again, we had the funeral the next day, and I had to go right. to the, you know, it was very tough. And um, yeah. so I know, I know what, what can happen. So, um, yeah, so I, I didn't know if I could ever write about that, but uh, I wrote a poem about it. And mm-hmm. and then um, my friend said she was in an open mic and she came on and she said if anybody has an it, you know had a supernatural mm-hmm. experience I'm gathering mm-hmm. these and I'm going to make a book and I said mm-hmm. whoa how many can she get and she right. said that that night she got like twelve people came over to her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then she was referred to other people and now since mm-hmm. the book has come out she's had more people who wanted to tell their stories so she, she may have right. to write another but this is the yeah, kind of yeah. thing where people don't always say that they've had a supernatural experience but right. they, they have and um, yeah. I, anyway your grief just reminded me of that, you know, that. Yeah. That. Well, your your story about supernatural experiences is a good segue into something that I did um, last year while um, mom was at the end, um, which is I... Um, I modified and rewrote because I added some things um, basically a ghost story um, which which is very loosely based on talking about supernatural experiences actually yeah part, part of it I should say is very loose so the reason part of it was already written was because uh, in college, which was in the 80s, I wrote a play about, a, um, as I say, the, about a guy who goes to a psychiatrist and doesn't get better. Um, and then for, for years after that, I mean, that play was black box, pro, was produced in a black box in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But um, but, af- but after that, for like 20 years or more, I kept rewriting that play or, or redoing it. And then uh, in 2020, I decided, why don't I just take the play and reformat it as a novella? So I did that. Um and then last year I decided why don't I take part of that novella and write it as a ghost story. And I and I belong to the Horror Writers Association, New York chapter, and they were asking for uh ghost story submissions for an anthology that they wanted to put out. So I that so I took that part and rewrote it as a ghost story, um, taking into account 
this experience I had, um, I, I think, I don't know if you remember, but, um, but I'll tell, uh, yeah, for Steve's, uh, or Steven's benefit, sorry, um, I I was a, I did was uh, at a uh, social work job for 12 years um, with people with psychiatric disabilities, um, and so one of my experiences there was a sort of paranormal experience uh, hmm. where where um, I came in one day and my boss said, "I know you have work to do." Um, so you should try to get done what you can in the morning because in the afternoon I'm sending you on a different type of job. Um, the different type of job was uh, one of our... So basically uh, we worked in a, a uh, housing building where people uh, could live independently um, and pay subsidized rent. So their their apartment was subsidized, so mm-hmm. they only had to pay a certain amount of rent. Mm-hmm. It was based on your income. But um, So one of our people kept complaining for years, had complained of noises of, um, that he heard above above him. And for some of that time, there was nobody above him. Right, we talked um, about this. I remember talking with you about this. Yes. Right. Go on. Yeah. So, so basically, finally, after you know much talking to him and trying to, um, you know, assuage him, and my boss, you know, getting plumbers and contractors to look to see if it was the pipes or you know what it was. And the other thing I should say, which I don't know if you remember this part of the story, Barbara, but the building that we worked in was an old hospital. It was one of the first immigrant hospitals. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. It was actually, you know, right. It was a big. It was actually, you know, a big tuberculosis hospital. Mm Mhm. Um, and so, um, and you know, I say that like. I didn't like our offices and the and the and the dining room and kitchen were actually uh the dining room and kitchen were actually the morgue of the hospital and I was surprised I was always surprised that we didn't have more experiences than we did um but so I was sent to go up to this room above this man's apartment and see what was going to happen and or if I heard anything or anything like that. Um, and so I spent the afternoon into part of the evening in this apartment. Um, and there were points where I thought I did hear things, but I was like, oh, you know, it could be the pipes because I hear this type of sound in this building a lot in other places other than this apartment. 
and that sounds like the Pikes. Um, you know, and so so there were some sounds, and I rationalized them away, and then towards like uh, it's about I would say maybe an hour or so before I'm supposed to leave. And I, you know, because I have a, because I have a uh, macabre sense of humor, I basically just sat there and went, well, you know, if anything's going to happen, I have to leave in an hour. So, you know, uh, you should just, you know, either show up or you probably have better things to do, so you should go on your way. And, uh, and uh, like, I turned around uh, to go sit back down, and the blinds on the window started rattling. And the windows were closed, and there was, so there was, and there was, there was central air in the building, but it was off. And I, was, uh, and I was like, I was like, huh. <laughs> I was like, so, so I did, so I just decided, you know, well, you know, I'm, I, you know, I, I, I guess I decided I've been through weirder things with, with, you know, um, with the crazy people. So, you know, why don't I just treat this similarly? So I was like, so you don't want me to leave? <laughs> um, I was like, I thought you had better things to do. And, you know, again, there was a sort of, like, there was a sort of, like, sort of, I'm going to say, like, a breeze-ish type thing. And again, the blinds kind of moved, not as much as they did before. Um, I said, okay, well, you know, I have an hour. I'm going to be here. <laughs> so, you know, if you want something, you should let me know. And the interesting thing about that was, like, nothing much else happened um, other than... I think there was the breeze a little bit, but um, but yeah. Then when I went to go, I said goodbye. You know, I am a, I am in this building every you know every day. If you need something, and there was again the like rattling and the breeze in the room, and I left. And when I went down and I reported to my boss and he said, so is there anything? I, and I basically said, well, you know, <laughs> there was nothing much. There were sounds and there was definitely noise, uh -huh. but I think it was probably, you know, something on the roof or the pipes or something like that. Um, so I kind of played it off, but words, you know, I, as they say, as they say, you know, um, you know, word travels fast. Well, when you're in a building with with a lot of people with psychiatric issues, 
word travels faster. So, like, the next day, I had somebody come down to me and say, you know, we heard that you that you talk to ghosts. <laughs> and I, so, you know, I basically decided that that was too good a thing to, like, I didn't want to, like, ruin the party, basically. So I was like, you're right. I said, so, you know, if you have problems, just let me know. And from then on, I had people who would come down and say, you know, you know, Oliver, you really got to talk, you really got to talk to them because there's, <laughs> you know, it's, there's too, too much is happening. And I, so I would say, okay, I'll do that. And, you know, occasionally I would look up at the ceiling when, uh, when somebody would come down and say something like that and say, could you guys please calm down? Um, and, and, and they swore that things calmed down when I said stuff. Really? That's what wow. that happened. Did the noises stop for the guy underneath then in the, in that the, apartment? Well, the, 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 noise, the, the interesting thing is the noises did not completely stop. Now it's interesting because this guy, you know, Wrote actually wrote out a report of, of things every hour of what <gasps> happened. Um, so sometimes it was hard to tell whether you know because sometimes there was sometimes when he wrote his reports there was actually somebody living above him. So mm. you know you so for us. For the staff, it was kind of like, well, you know, he complained and we got these detailed reports when there was some, just as detailed when somebody lived up there as when somebody didn't live up there. And did the person who lived up there have any complaints about strangeness? No, they had, they had, they had more complaints about um, about their neighbors than they did. Oh, um, okay. But, you know, part of that difficulty with, noise, you know, noises in a building like that is we did have a fair number of people who were schizophrenic. Um, and one of the things of schizophrenia is it's hard to distinguish the voices in your head from the what's the the noise that's outside. So sometimes right. things get sometimes things get conflated. So it is hard to figure out. I mean, you know, we had one guy who would who complained about like besides besides the fact that he com- said that we were spying on him through the light bulbs. Uh, um, he also talked about, like, the light bulbs flickering at odd times mm-hmm. and that we and that we obviously didn't keep up the electricity. Um, 
So, you know, and, you know, at, at times when we sent somebody up there, his light bulbs were loose. So was it the supernatural experiences from this building or was it his light bulbs were loose because he was, he was loosening them because he kept looking for the bugs that he oh, right. planted in the light bulbs. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was hard to differentiate. Uh, most of the staff didn't really, not everybody on staff, but most of the staff didn't really um, go along with the supernatural stuff. Um, but some did. And, you know, because I was the one who, who, like, who was interested in this kind of stuff or would openly admit to being interested. And because, um, you know, I like writing about this kind of thing, um, fictionally, um, you know, people weren't surprised. And because I have that macabre sense of humor, people would come to me, <laughs> basically. And I think the staff was more joking than our tenants were. The tenants, I don't think, I don't think were joking. Yeah, um, no, they they probably believed it was true, but the staff probably had a ball with that. That's so funny. Steve, what do you so, think you know, about all this? Steve. Yeah, so basically I became known as as the person who talked to ghosts. One of my oh, other names so for, for, for Steve was, one of my other names was Rebbe in the Hood because we were in the projects and I was the only person, I, I say I was the only Jewish person who admitted to knowing about the holidays. Like I tried going to the other Jewish people on staff and saying, you know, we should, do something for the Jewish tenants here because most of the events we have are basically Christian holiday oriented and mm-hmm. it kind of leaves a good, you know, a number of our people out. So we should do something for them. And the other staff looked at me and said, well, you can do it. I don't know anything about Jewish holiday. Unbelievable. And I, I, just looked, I looked at them and I was like, <laughs> you take the Jewish holidays off. You can't tell me you don't know anything. You take the ball. They're like, oh, I don't know anything, Oliver. So I ended well, up being the Jewish, person who... Wait, they, they, they go to, 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 to meals and whatever, and they don't know Jewish holidays? I, I don't yeah, understand. Well, that's the, well the, I, that, I think the Jewish staff, we're just trying to get out of doing more. more. I think As that's they, what they, uh, yeah, they doing, didn't want to do it. Doing, no. Right. They didn't want to well, do because it. Because so if you're, if you're going to deal with that, then you have to think of, you know, decorations. Right. <laughs> right. And food. So, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I did. So I ended up doing it. I ended up doing it. Um, and I didn't, I refuse I did I decided I'm not I don't think I'm religious enough so I'm not going to bring my a yarmulke in so I wore a hoodie and when I did <laughs> di- when I did dinner services for the holidays um I like said okay everybody close your eyes and then I would turn around 
and flip up the hood and say, okay, you can open them. And I would say, okay, now I'm a rabbi. <laughs> and, and so, so we were, so it was, a, it was a pun. It was a pun because we were in the projects and I was doing this and I was wearing a hoodie. So they called me Rebbe in the hood. Yes. Oh, okay, so that, that's, that's cool. <laughs> That is so, so funny. So we come to the portion of the show. I have to admit your experiences are wild, Oliver. We come to the portion of the show where we're going to share. So we'll start with Steve, who can read, you can read something from your chapter. Um. I do want to say this. I don't have the book with me. I don't know if you caught my text when I was texting you. Oh, my, okay. You don't I have sold, the book I with you. I sold all my books. I thought I had a book available still. And I, I realized I sold all my books. I was like, um, so I ordered more books. And it will be here in about another week. But I do remember that there was a, by the way, it became an international bestseller. That's wonderful. So, but the thing that I wanted to share was is that puppet. Remember, I told you about puppets. Well, mm-hmm. Puppet ministry basically saved my life, and that's I, that I'm quoting from um, the book. But puppet mm-hmm. ministry did save my life because I was able to separate myself away from the negative and go into a positive world and be able to be somebody that, you know, be a character or. You know, just enjoy watching the kids uh, really enjoy themselves and the parents enjoy themselves more than I think the kids did. But that was able, I was able to reach kids and a lot of the kids that had broken homes or whatever, they were able to laugh, they were able to enjoy themselves and that made me smile. And so that's why I say puppet ministry saved my life. And so I've been through so many dark clouds, and that's why the name of my chapter is Surviving the Storm. And yes, I have it. I have your book. Oh, you do have the book. Yeah, okay. I bought it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I didn't know you did. I didn't know you did. So that's in there. I think it's on. I read your page chapter. Page one hundred two. Fascinating. Um, I yes. think it's on page one hundred two. Um, but then the other thing is, that at the very end, I don't know, did you read the whole Page chapter? Page 113. Yeah. 113. Did you read the yeah. whole chapter? I think I did. Okay. I did. Because what I tell people is... it was, yeah, fascinating chapter, really. Yeah, thank you. Um, I tell people at the very end, I said, you know, behind every storm there's a silver lining. And now my what I do is when I assign the book to somebody, I I sign my book and then I write a message. If I'm writing a message, um, I'll say that uh, behind every storm cloud, there's a silver lining. Go find yours. Yeah, and that's did, how I, I end mean, the you, book, or that's how I end the chapter. Yeah. Um, yes, it says the exact words is. Rachel's, wait, wait a second. This is, a, you went into stress-induced seizures? Yes. Yes, I did. Unbelievable. Where, where your your body actually seized, like if you had a seizure? 
Yeah, um, it was what they call them psych. Oh, I almost said psycho. Um, it's not psychological seizures. It's pseudo seizures, which is um, what they doctors are always going to say a fake seizure. But what it really is is, it, yes, it's a it's not a real seizure like um, epidem or um, like the epilepsy type seizures. Right. It's a stress induced seizure, meaning your body is so seized up from seizures that it has to let go, and the only way to let go is doing what they call a false or a pseudo-seizure in order to um, get out of it and get out of the stress. And it um, so it acts like a real seizure, and then to the point where now my wife told me about this, where I went into like a disorder, like a um, associative disorder where I on my disassociative disorder, something like that, where I'm not that person that I was like a 30, at the time I was 37, um, 37 years old. Um, I became a five-year-old boy. Uh. I, I was in, in a, um, it hurt so bad that um, I guess when I woke up out of the seizure, I had this disassociative, how I think that's how it's, what? Yeah, it's disassociative, you're right, Dissociative feud is what it's called. Yeah, right, right, yes. Mm-hmm. So yep. that's what happened to me. And so now I was able to, um, after five weeks, I... I was able to, my body was able to get back to normal. And then I, I was back to being a married man again. And, you know, I was back, but that only happened. You were a five-year-old boy for five weeks. Yes. I thought it was like five minutes, five weeks. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's what the, that's that's what my dad, uh-huh. I was going to say, Steve, yeah, uh, Barbara, that in fugues, most, many, many fugue states um, last longer than um, one would, one, you know, some fugue states last years. So there are cases of people who go into a fugue state and 20 years later um, they come out of it. Right, um, and then, and some some of them end up having whole families, you know, while they're in this fugue state. Right, um, and it's scary because a lot of my friends and a lot of they're like, "What in the world?" They had to be educated on this, and a lot of them wasn't sure what was going on. They just said, "This is not like you." Of course, Rachel had my wife had to talk tell them what was going on. And they just couldn't mm-hmm. believe that my dad was being such a big bully and everything. And so, you know, and and when I say I had, I was bullied at church. Yeah, I had a couple kids that just kept on thinking it was funny to um, not push me around and and say verbal things. And it wasn't. Um, but I was still like a young kid. I was like, actually, I was a teenager, and I take that back. I was more like uh, 11, 12, 13, 14. But um, I let it get to me, and I shouldn't have, but I did. And um, so I had those pseudo-seizures for quite a while, and I just couldn't get rid of them. And 
and so then when my dad passed away, it's it's interesting. When my dad passed away, a lot of the seizures and a lot of the negative stopped, and I was able to um, go on with my life. And of course, it was good because when I met my wife in '96, we dated for a couple of years. Uh, we were engaged for a while, and then we got married. And really, that's why I tell people in the book that Rachel was my rock star. Mm. Well, I can see that. She stayed with you through... I can read you the last part of that paragraph. Um, Right, okay. I went into stress-induced seizures to cope, but Rachel stayed with me while I was out of sorts. Because of her love and support, we have been able to renew our vows on our 16th wedding anniversary, and we'll be sharing 25 years of marriage in 2023. Every storm has a, has a silver lining. Go find yours. Great ending. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great ending. So, I, so, so uh, you know that that is another thing that I did not know. I I read it, but I read it a while back, so I forgot about mm. that one. But. Oh my goodness, what a story you have, Steve. And how wonderful that you've been able to overcome it. Um, By the way, this is a great book. There's so many other stories in here of people who overcome stuff. Mm -hmm. But yours is really amazing. So, Oliver, are you ready to share something with us? Yes, I can... I'll uh, share the poem that I wrote about uh, the transplant. Um, You should bear in mind, as you know, Barbara, but Stephen doesn't, much of the, I write dark poetry and and the prose I write is horror stories. So this has a fictional aspect to it, but it is uh, inspired by uh, the transplant. Okay. When the summer, when the summer sounds have lulled us to surrender, some kid left his flesh on a fender. In order that the body not go to waste, organ removal was ordered post haste. In another part of the state, as the story goes, another child was having bodily woes. He twisted, turned, writhed, and jerked the poisons inside slowly going to work. A phone call was made between transplant centers to let the child know there was a renter, organ, that is. There's an option to buy, he heard as they whizzed off to the center to be cross-matched and typed. He hoped this wasn't hunting for snipe. He lay back and dreamed of weird rituals involving organ transferal and ingestion of victuals. They had pulsing black vessels on their small moving vesicles, which on closer inspection were actually flailing tentacles. He awoke in a white room, a throbbing pain in his stomach, a man in white above him wiping stains off his neck. Was he in heaven, he doubted with fear? The black and red stains covering the man, even his ear, proved to be an ill omen as he laughingly told him how much space there is in the abdomen. And that that last line 
is is an actual uh, reference to what my surgeon, what the transplant surgeon told me when I asked, like, how are you going to fit a kidney in my abdomen? That's where they put transplants. Um, there are all these other when there are all these other organs in there. Uh-huh. And he looked at me and he and he looked at me and he said, he said, there you can't imagine how much space there is in the human abdomen. So we'll just move everything over and put the kidney in there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Your everyday kidney transplant. Exactly. Yeah, it's really. Yes, but even though it's very dark, I found it refreshingly funny. <laughs> yeah, it does have. Yes, it does have some humor about it, and that's yeah. that I think is, you know, that was somewhat purposeful because that is my sense of humor. It is. Uh, that's what, uh, you know, it's delightful about you. And I think that's why people have decided to put your songs to, uh, you know, your poems to songs. And um, Right, I have done that, yeah. But, yeah, and Sin, I believe, I believe, I don't, no, I, I was going to say. I, I have, when we I lost, have, no, I yeah. have. I have your work here. I have right, the trouble right. dolls, right? Yeah, I have the yeah, trouble dolls. Right. I have an entrepreneur in a box. Is that yours? Right. right? Okay. Entrepreneur in the box. I don't think is mine. Okay, no. But I have the trouble dolls. Decibel passages. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and mine. I found that. Um, when I was looking up, you know, the, the different groups, band uh, Bandcamp right. was one of the right. groups, and um, that they really loved your work. What they talked about, yeah, how they talked people... about you, was really like quite extraordinary. And so, uh, you know, I I said, well, I'll just have to get this, and I did. I bought it. So. Here, I, I think we should listen to decimal passages now. Okay. Okay, yeah, sure. Okay. Decibel passages crisscross my mind Images and words that bind us together Invocation slowly filling Midnight tunnels always ending in feather like haze. Jigsaw memories echo crazed and forgotten pleading. Breathless prayers travel isolated hallways beating. With pipes sweat and Start. 
And that was Central yeah. Passages. Wow. Great job. Yeah. yeah it's beautiful. Yeah, they did they it did was. do a good job. Your words just, just there's a lot of them, but somehow they seem to fit in very well. Yeah, they speak yeah. volume. Yeah. Yep, that's uh yeah, they did a very good job with with my words. A lot of people have done that. That you know um yeah, there's um been some more of that, not as much as I think there was previously, but um there's some more people working on things. And uh yeah. I think I think we discussed in the last program I think about a month or two before the last program, uh, there was a different group that created an EP inspired uh, by their... Bandcamp is actually a uh, marketplace. It's, um, It's where bands go to sell their work. It's um, it's an online thing. Um, it's like, you know, um, Facebook, except it's for music and bands. Or it's like, Spot- it's like Spotify, but it, it's specifically more for bands, and it's not really a radio thing. Um, uh. but, uh, um, but, uh, yeah, no, this band was called Lucky Witch and the Righteous Ghost, to go back to our paranormal theme. Right. Uh, um, and their EP, which is five songs for, um, that they created, four of which are based on my words. And the fifth song is based on a author, a famous author H.P. Lovecraft um, one of his based on one of his stories and the EP is called Dreams in the Witch House which which is an H.P. Lovecraft story Um, so yeah so they so that's an EP that people can get um, if you look up uh, Lucky Witch and the Righteous Ghost they you can find that EP. They've come out, I think, with several. Okay, so uh, put the link in the in the in the uh, under the post. Okay, put your links, both of you. Put your links oh. in, under the under the post uh, on my page, so that um, it can be there. Unless you're a member of Blog Talk Radio, then you can put a comment down under the. Right. So, but I don't think if you're if you're not a member, they won't let you write a comment. Yeah, I can I can um, do that when I get off. I can go ahead and put that yeah, on the page. So. Yeah, yeah, that'll be great. And and so, Steve, you you do you want to tell us a little bit about a puppetry experience you've had recently? Um, well, it's not been it's been a while since I've done any puppetry, but I can't remember that. Um, I guess I'm going to have to go back to being maybe in high school. Um, there was a church event that was going on that they, one of the events was, or one of the 
uh, things was it called um, um, oh, it was a special presentation and included puppetry. Well, a friend of mine, he was always into helping me out. He there was always three of us working it, and it wasn't Mark. It was uh, he, uh, it was myself and another gentleman. We he decided that he he could help me out because I wanted to do a car crash, and he's like, "You're going to do a car crash on the stage." He said, I got an idea, so he put two car model cars together, you know, plastic model cars and string, and actually pulled these strings, and they were able to come together on this thin little puppet stage platform and actually can, you know, made the crash happen. And so um, <laughs> it was called Trials of a Teenager, and, of course, it won first place. And then it went into it went to nationals. I never got, of course, there again. I'm talking about my dad. I never got a chance to go to nationals because he just said, "You're not going. I don't have the money." Well, oh well. And he knew how much the puppetry meant to me. But um, I did go to regionals. It went to state, and so I was really happy with that. And so that's and so for, to me. When I did these, um, of course, my wife and I also did puppetry for about 11 years at this uh, nature center where my sister was in charge of uh, the, the, they call it the haunted hayride. And there was a haunted hayride, but in this pavilion in in the nature center was uh, crafts and things that you could do. Well, it was all dedicated to our puppet, um, and her dad, Rachel's dad, was a part of it. And we did that for 11 years, and so many people were just intrigued by um, the the puppets and the music that we did. And uh, we had um, bits, or we had big crowds. Not the big crowds was a big thing, but they were the big thing to me was is the comments that they that we got that it was so fascinating how uh, realistic you made the puppets be, and and these were coming from adults, not kids. And one time. We had these, um, the last year that we did it, these kids were 16, 17 years old, and they um, they actually followed me, and I didn't know this. The girl told me, she said, well, we've been following you and your wife. We didn't, of course, they didn't know it was my wife at the time, but they said, we've been following your wife and you for 10 years. They were six years old sitting in the front row of the, of the stage or of the, watching us perform and now they're 16, 17 years old, and they came back to be in the um, plap or in the pavilion doing uh, like uh, painting, face painting, so that they could watch our show. Oh, so cute! And this was where uh, at a, a, like a, a candy fair or? Oh uh, no! It was actually just it was actually a nature center, and the na- it was a um, actually it was a okay. fundraiser at a nature center and they did this every year. And uh the first year we did it, um, they raised over ten thousand dollars um and they were able to save the property from um putting a bunch of condominiums in, in the area around on the on the property. And so it, of course we were um, they said, Oh, you guys were a big part of that and I said, Well I appreciate that but we didn't raise ten dollars. I think the whole community coming together and the the whole thing it came to ten thousand dollars within like it ran for a whole month the month of October 
and we were there all four weeks and it was it was really a lot of fun and um so many kids really enjoyed it and then to hear these kids that were now older teenagers that had been with us through the whole thing i was like holy smoke <laughs> yeah that's really that's a lot of money to raise in such yeah. a short period of time so i don't know what's going on there now, obviously, because we only did it um, until we moved to Branson, Missouri. So, um, Right, you live in Branson. Tell me how you know Amy. Amy McCorkle, she actually she became a good friend of mine. We, there's a film festival that uh, we did now six years ago called um, the Branson International um, Christian um, International Christian Film Festival. And yeah. so she did this movie that um, the first year she was there, there was this movie called Letters to Daniel. Oh, I know Letters and to I, Daniel very well. <laughs> and so I saw the movie, and I was, like, so blown away. I was like, oh, my yeah. goodness. It, it was so heartwarming. I mean, it, I cried. I laughed. And I said, and, of course, at the time, when the movie played, I said, man, I wonder what this girl's going through. And I had no idea that it was a true story. And then when um, Amy, I met Amy at a table that she was at, I was like, who was that girl? And she said, oh, she played me. I was like, what? You went through all that? Yeah, that's Amy. And so her and I became (laughs) good friends. And then she did a thing last year. She did a thing for me about my life and um, made a short 10-minute video, a, um, what do you call it? A, uh, it, it was a 10-minute short about my life. And um, it was a dev- documentary. Not, thank you. Short it documentary. was a 10-minute short, short documentary. And she did that for me last year. She says, I'll produce this. I can't do much because I'm really busy, but. Um, I would I would love to help you out, and I'd love to do this. So last year she shot this for me, and interviewed me last year, and I we met each other. We saw each other again this last year at the festival, and she's gonna send me some more um, information so I can finish putting the uh, documentary together. But she produced it, and um, the name of the film is. Uh, not my dad, the bully. Oh wow! Well, Amy, Amy is a really good friend of mine, and she did a documentary for me called "Remembering Hell," where uh, I recited five poems. She 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 chose the poems. She sent me questions to answer, and then um, my daughter filmed it on. on the iPad then she put it together with music and it's there on my YouTube channel if you want to you know take a look it's called Remembering Hell and it's me talking about my husband Amy and I know each other for years and I you know I've I've read all her a lot of her screenplays and I've seen a lot of a lot of her movies. 
but I've seen the whole change of letters to Daniel, how it came from a book, and it went into a play, and then it became a movie, and and how now, um, did you know that they they were putting it in Jersey? It's in an actual movie theater. Yeah, I in just read Jersey. that. And I, I texted her, I called her, and I said, man, I know, girl, you, very excited you, that's something to be very proud of. She's she's a um, Amy is I knew when I met her that she was going to be a star and um, she's just one of those people. She's very mm-hmm. open about her you know problems. She's bipolar and she is very open about it and a wonderful person. I mean, I was with her at um, at. Uh, at the um, the film festival in Vegas, and she she pushed me to write a poem, uh, to write a, a a play, a screenplay about my situation um, called The Kiss. It's about when I met my husband, and it's it it won first prize in Indie Gathering and. Honorable mention for a short for dialogue at um, Action on Film, and um, it, yeah, and she she's just one of those people, Amy. I love her. We're you yeah know, really good friends. She came up here during the pandemic, and we went to a restaurant and. We had lunch together, and you know, I I took her front to him from the airport, and you're just a really open, giving person. Yeah, really. I would agree with that. And if you're listening to this, Amy, I love you. So, um, let me see. I should read something of mine. Um, I can read from my book. If you want, um, sure. I was I was looking for the um, the poem about my mother, but I just can't seem to find it. So I'll read from my book. You'll probably forget me. Living with and without hell. And okay. Tell me what kind of poem you want me to read. You want me to read. A love poem, a sad poem, both of you. Maybe I, was uh, happy. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll read you this one that I wrote because this one was. We, I guess Oliver would like in, enjoy this. It's called Reflections While Listening to Otis Redding, and um, to preface this. My husband, my future husband and I, when we were going to school together, we'd go to this place. And in the book, I actually have a picture of this place, the Hollywood Grill. And we'd eat French fries and stare into each other's arms. Eyes. I can't stare into arms. (laughs) I'm getting tired. Well, you can, but, you know. (laughs) It would be weird. (laughs) Right, exactly. And, and there was a jukebox on, you know, those little jukeboxes that they 
they have tables, and yeah. we would always be listening to Otis Redding, throwing mm. coins in and listening. So this is called Reflections While Listening to Otis Redding. I hear Otis Redding singing, sitting on the dock of a bay, and remember us sitting in the Hollywood eating french fries and singing along as we gazed into each other's eyes, your hazel glance boring deep into my heart, and we hummed along one hand holding the other as the free ones dipped french fries into ketchup, and when the song ended after a kiss across the table, we put another quarter into the convenient jukebox at our table and chose it again and again and again, the background for our stolen hours away from the books and uncaring of the time we spent as if we had suspended the moment and it hung there in a bubble of love we created in that booth, your smile and your love surrounding me as they would for years afterward, though at the time I only felt the intense beating of my heart in your presence and the joy of the time we spent, not knowing we were building the foundation for the invisible structure of our life together from moment to moment and cemented by the memories we created as we splashed through the years, bound together with the strand we had fastened to each other of faith in our dreams and hope for the fulfillment of our happiness. A strand so strong, it continued after your light extinguished and your beautiful mind was at last at rest. And no longer did the world hear your voice and no longer did I hear your voice whispering to me in private, reminding me of our first love moments when it was enough to sit and listen, not realizing that it would be me left sitting on the proverbial dock of the bay as... The loneliness won't leave me alone. Wow. I do love it. I love it. <laughs> that was I especially like the end there. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. And that made me cry. <laughs> yeah, spoke a lot of wow. volume. Right. Huge. That was I mean Yeah, it it I think, you know, it. I think it you wrote it so well that if people don't elicit emotion from it then you know then they're missing something or they are compartmentalizing right I don't know but right. it's a very emotional poem Yeah thank you thank you and and that that's the kind of poems I wrote <laughs> in my book, they're they're in my book. I have short poems. I have long poems. I have a poem mm-hmm. about me as a girl, um, and uh, just all kinds of poems in here. There there are different parts to it. There's our you know beginning of us, and then with children, and then afterward his illness and the. Um, the there's there's about our our dogs that we lost and mm-hmm. just everything and a, right. a friend of mine put it together and um, she's she's the person I said that has a kidney problem. Here's oh, one uh-huh, I wrote uh-huh. that this one 
This one is called My Thoughts Turn to You, and it got Scriggler, Poem of the Day, May 14, 2016. It had like, mm-hmm. I don't know, by the, I guess it has 2,000 views. And then I entered it into a contest, and it got honorable mention, the Vinnie mm-hmm. Ream. So, uh, uh, and it got, I think it won at Action on Film. It's called My Thoughts Turn to You. I don't think of you often except when I do. A glimpse of a Klondike bar reminds me how we used to buy those for you, sugar-free. And the memory brings tears as if a violet mist had suddenly formed in front of my eyes. Other memories slide in, pushing this one away. Your smile, a beacon, reminded me of sunrises we caught together, the sky brightening as purple clouds tinged with orange, and the sun peeked over the horizon, my sleepy eyes wanting the darkness to stay for a few more hours so we could slip into bed. And now I skip the sunrises and the mornings when your voice would be telling me current events as you went about your routines, and I forced myself to wake and join you sometimes so I could feel the energy you emoted, or on days when I remained half asleep, you cooking eggs for yourself, the smell remaining as a reminder of your presence, the pan and your utensils in the sink left as remnants of your lonely repast. And now I sleep through sunrises and wake to the middle of the day when morning is over. No smells of eggs loiter and thoughts of you are not present except when I look around the room and remember each day you are not here. And so the day begins as sunlight fills the bedroom and I wish to slide under covers and sleep until memories of your face and your voice no longer flood my head and the stark reminders of your loss are not around my space. And though I kid myself into believing I can accept you are gone, what I would give for the feel of your bearded face beneath my hand and the brush of your lips on my cheek. And poem. Very nice. Wow. Yeah. Talk about emotion. Yeah, these these are very emotional poems, and the person who who put them together told me that she cried the whole time she put the poem to get the the book together. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, but it's so sad. And she said, yeah, it's so sad, and people are going to want to read it. And so, what has happened with this poem? these books, this book, is that people who have lost loved ones have read my book and they told mm-hmm. me that it helped them. That's my great. My friend, yeah. Yeah. That's great. I well, was that's, at, yeah. yeah. It, that's it's why like, you do um, that. Well, I did it. I personally did it. I <laughs> wrote those because I was in, you could hear the sadness in the poems. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Yeah. And I was overwhelmed with sadness when I wrote that poem. Right, right. And so it's turned mm-hmm. to you. It, it was, mm-hmm. it was, I was in, in deep sadness. And yeah. Right, right. People found something to comfort them in that poem because, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, 
it touched everyone who read it. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, like, I don't like to read a lot of my old poems because they make me sad. <laughs> but, oh. Well, one can understand why now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that definitely, if that, like you said, if that doesn't make it, uh, if you're, wait, something about the wood being wet or something. Uh, if it doesn't get you fired up, your wood's wet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I can read you one one last one because this one is the last poem in the book and it's probably the only hopeful one. <laughs> so I thought I should end with something hopeful so people didn't want to kill themselves after after they read all this. <laughs> so it's called There is Hope. Now is not the time to weep and moan. You have to shoulder the burden, and you should know you are not alone. Sadness should not be your tone as you go through your days uncertain. Now is not the time to weep and moan. Don't let me hear you start to groan. Everyone has it tough in life. It is a given, and you should know you are not alone. You may have sins for which you atone, and you have made your life a prison. Now is not the time to weep and moan. Try to be carefree and still as a stone, for in that stillness will be your heaven, and you should know you are not alone. I will soon be a crone, but I still have words to be written. Now is not the time to weep and moan, and you should know you are not alone. Wow. Uh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. That does give hope. That's a- yeah, that is the only hopeful one in the book. On. Yeah, I think it's a good one to end on. So uh, we have like nine minutes left. So mm-hmm. what do you guys want to talk about? I mean, do you... Do, Stephen, you're in your ministry. Uh, do you feel that it, it, it helps heal people? Yes. Um, it It educates, heals... And, you know, um, I'm able to bring life back into a lot of um, people that have lost the ability to want life like myself. At at one time, by the way, that was the only time that that happened. I've I've never had another thought like that since. So, um, but, yes, it's a healing. um, There's a healing. There's an education in in what I'm doing and now um what I started to tell you at the beginning when I first told you about the new book that I'm yes, going to be the new getting book. involved yeah. with it's uh it, it's um it's a big oh man I lost it again but anyway it's got big rewards um and um it's it's basically um everything that you um have gone through you there's big rewards after you've gone through what you've gone through there's big rewards at the end and so it's more positive um book that i'm going to be involved with rather than just know what my story was all about and so i'm going to start writing that here real soon and so it'll probably take a few months um probably six months but um i'm hoping that now that i know how to do it and i'm been a first time author i can 
um, get it out quicker. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> is. Down it's, paper it's easier. Yeah, it's easier when you're writing a second thing. Um, I found writing my second book was easier than my first, but um, it's yeah. Still, I it's I wrote puppetry. I wrote puppet skits. I wrote drama skits. I've done those types of things, but I've never really thought of myself as an author of a real book. Well, you can do it, Stephen. You can do it. You can yeah, do it. I found and that Oliver, out. <laughs> yeah. And Oliver, yeah. what are yeah. you what are you working on now? Um well I think I'm working on uh well, working on uh trying to uh I guess take those lines that are coming into my head and sort of shape them into something. Um mm-hmm. And also I have uh, another part of that novella that I want to, that I'm reworking into another short story, um, which has similar aspects to the other short story I wrote from it. But, uh, But I'm trying to make it... Similar but different, I guess, is the best way to talk about that. Um, okay, I see you put the your link in the in the in the chat, yeah, and put yeah. it also in the in the po- under the post so that um, then we can under the, um, the, the post. under where the post the post on Facebook, yeah, where where it's, oh, it's announcing the link. So um, that way, more people can see it, and yeah, that yeah, sounds yeah. great. I'm, hey, you know, Baba, I'm looking forward to that. Yes. Bold risks, big rewards. That's the name of the book. Bold Got risks, it. big rewards. Bold. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I will definitely get that one because I really enjoyed reading your story here, and. Um, that's great. I, on the other hand, I am writing a memoir. I am writing a memoir. All right. Called Just a Girl from Brooklyn. I have mm-hmm. two chapters almost done. My second chapter is almost done. And I started out with my mother, my father and my mother. My father had an interesting story. He was a chauffeur for the mafia. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so that needs to be told, and um, it's it, very interesting man. And so, mm-hmm. I don't think I can put everything about him in this, but it, it will be filtered through the book. And um, but I wanted to give a, a, an overview of both of them because. They were two extraordinary people, and um, they're both gone now. And right. I, I actually, I, I thought about it, how much I got from my mother that I didn't realize, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> as, I, mm-hmm. as I raised my daughters, uh, you know, I realized how much of my mother was in me. And I oh, can see yeah, yeah. Parts of me right. that 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 um, 
that are going that that my daughters they they are actually reading back to me in their behavior and it's very mm-hmm. interesting to see they're they're much older they're older but unmarried and i think it's due to the mm-hmm. pandemic i really do I think it's impossible mm-hmm. for single women to find anyone in this pandemic, and um, so it's not that I'm, easy I'm, for single men either. No, and I'm so glad you got over COVID, Oliver. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I had to take Pax, Paxlovid. It took me two weeks to get over it, and yeah, well, they yeah. they wouldn't give it to me because it turns out that Paxlovid. Uh, people with kidney transplants should, or any transplants should not take Paxlovid because the rebound effect that happens um, basically uh, makes the transplant uh, go into rejection or... Oh, no, or you don't want create, that. <laughs> or, creates, or creates further complications that, that add, that can complicate things more including the rejection so it's yeah, yeah no this, a, we have 60 seconds i want to just say our show next month will be on the 28th of of july it's a mm-hmm. late show and and mm-hmm. um i'm going to have on as my guest paul leonardo uh mm-hmm. uh 20 on of all places alignment, which is a um Oh yeah alignable group. alignable, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. on the You're on too, alignable. Yeah. 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 And there's someone right. else on alignable that you know but I I that you're connected with and I forgot her name. Mm-hmm. But um yeah. So I'll I'll see you on Alignable <laughs> and Facebook right. and Steve. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll see you on Facebook. And thank you so much, both of you, for coming on the show again. Sure. Great. Welcome. Thank you. Loved it. Yeah, it's great being here. And have a great summer. Okay, you, you too. too. Okay, take thank care. Thank you, Oliver. Bye-bye. That was great meeting you. All right, take Bye-bye. care. Have a good time. Oh, no, it was wonderful. Wonderful. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, All right, you bye-bye. Too. Bye.